for my ally is the Force. And a powerful ally it is. Life creates it. Makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you. Here, between you, me, the tree, the rock, everywhere. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. You don't know the power of the dark side. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. I got a bad feeling about this. Welcome to episode 286 of Blue Harvest. I'm your host, Halls Burkhardt. And I'm your host, Will Witten. And it's another day in Star Wars land. Indeed it is. Um, finally, this week, we will have a bit of a discussion of Light of the Jedi, the first book in the new High Republic era of Star Wars publishing. Um, since it's, oh, it's still only been out for about, I guess, three weeks at this point, we're going to save that for the end of the show. That way, if you haven't finished it or haven't even started it but plan on starting it, uh, you don't get spoiled for anything. So this is sort of how the show's going to ru run down. We're going to talk about a little bit of new stuff. There's not a lot. Then we'll go right into emails and voice messages. And past that, it will be our High Republic stuff so it will be saved for the end of the podcast that way like i said you guys don't get spoiled um buddy i have to tell you about something that happened to me this week all right what happened you know one of my favorite things about music right is how it is there's a song or something that's just pretty much perfect for almost any moment in life you know what i mean like yeah. any emotion any you know feelings about yourself or someone else there's a song that can uh sum it up and just hit you deep in your core yeah and uh you know speak to you well i've been struggling with something for the past couple of weeks and uh it's been well documented on the show and that was my uh attempt to make that new sound clip a thing right the right he looked hard which he absolutely was right uh and then this week i heard this song and i was like wow that is exactly how i feel about myself after that whole situation when will was no selling me okay so i'm just gonna play a quick little clip of this song but uh 
I don't know, man. I thought like it spoke to me, so maybe I'd let you hear it too. Okay. <laughs> just reaches down and touches your soul you know what i mean damn music you got me that was funny <laughs> i'm gonna have to run that back one more time <laughs> Poor Jesse had to hear that about 30 <laughs> times yesterday. Oh, man, that's the worst. <laughs> you got to make that up to her. <clears throat> I'm sure I'll find some kind of way. Mm. It comes out of nowhere. You don't expect it. Um. Yes. Yes, it does. So let me uh, let me ask, how's your week been? How you been doing, buddy? It's been fine. I can't complain. I I, I heard some exciting news from you before we started recording. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You want to share with the audience what you did today? I got my vaccination yesterday. Oh, yesterday. Nice, yesterday. buddy. Well, how does it feel to have that microchip in you? Oh, you know, between that and my phone. I mean, they should already know where I'm at anyway. Shit. But Bill Gates is all up in your business. What? I was about to say. They, you know, uh, what was it? Um Steve Jobs made a microchip and Bill Gates and uh, sold it to you for a thousand dollars and you love it and you take it everywhere you go, you know. So why would they need to put a microchip in a vaccine? Sure. But yeah. I've got it, you know. Uh, if it is, I'm chipped. You know, they got me on the registry. <coughs> I'll, I'll double down for another microchip. They're gonna in be 21 like one days. This dude, according to our, we're run, we're t- we're uh, running the numbers. And this guy right here, William Witten, in Mississippi, his microchip data says that every week, or on Thursday or Friday, maybe Wednesday, around ten o'clock Central Time, he sits in front of his laptop and he doesn't laugh at his friends' jokes. Fascinating data. <laughs> And then I'm just trying to keep it real. <laughs> then mine, they tell they crunch the numbers and they're like, "Oh, same time period." This guy sits in front of his laptop and he makes jokes that aren't funny. Fascinating, da da. Hans, you are funny. I don't want you to think that you're not funny, buddy. You know I'm just milking it. You, you know, know I'm, I'm a hard milking. audience. I'm I'm a harsh critic. Whew. Not usually when it comes to you. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. Maybe that's what was so shocking. I was like, you know, over the past <laughs> 16 years or whatever that we've been friends, I was like, ah, I can tickle Will's funny bone <laughs> pretty good. I'm pretty good at it. Don't mean to brag, but I know how to tickle that boy's funny bone. Well. And I was all like... Scar from the Lion King. I was like, that's hilarious. <laughs> oh man. Well, regardless, buddy, I am stoked that you got your uh your first dokes of the evil mind controlling vaccine. Um, yep. 
but in all you know in all seriousness that's cool i wish i was also able to do the same because that would be awesome um, hopefully you will be yeah you know it's it's Shouldn't just be too long yeah i can't imagine it'll be that much longer you know we'll see i've already signed up for it there's like a, a website for uh jefferson county where you can sign up for it and i guess they'll email you when uh when you're able to get one right. haven't heard anything from it yet but we're signed up we'll see how it goes that's great <clears throat> in the meantime are you on facebook reading your crazy aunt donna talk about some motherfucker named q well spend oh. sp- oh. sp- spending your afternoon doing that <laughs> why don't you go over to facebook.com slash blue harvest podcast and uh, like that page uh are you on twitter instagram or twitch check out blue harvest pod on any of those locations did a couple of streams over the weekend uh, and uh gotta say buddy uh, upgraded the streaming setup a little bit uh, and uh, had a pretty good time um i'd like to make a return to video games at some point it just completely fell off my video game playing yeah i mean you know the holidays and stuff i'm sure yeah the baby and the holidays so i'm sure you'll be returning um anyways yeah, check what did out. you get to play when you were twitching? So, um, actually, if you hear this and you're interested in checking out what I've been doing on streams, I've been putting sort of an archive of each stream up on the Blue Harvest podcast channel, which uh, right. the links will be in the notes. If you want to find us, just look for Blue Harvest, a Star Wars podcast on YouTube. Um, but I was playing a little bit of the Old Republic. And Jesse and I uh, played each other in a little Magic the Gathering arena, which is, you know, their sort of online version of Magic the Gathering. Right. <clears throat> so if you want to check those out, like I said, uh, you can you can check out the live streams as they're going on at twitch.tv slash Blue Harvest Pod or on the Blue Harvest YouTube channel. Um, and besides that, we've also got a patreon page if you want to support us uh for as little as three dollars a month you'll get access to all of our exclusive bonus podcasts of which there are many uh oh no it's hall solo cooking with will jaws blue harvest adventures masters of harvest kasi podula rasa star wars year by podcast and steve versus the prequels there's a whole bunch up there right now and more to come if you're interested in checking that out, it's patreon.com slash Blue Harvest Podcast. And that's the business. That was good. It was all right. It was all right business. Not my strongest. Hot fire. <laughs> but. I call the fire department. Yeah. I'm just trying to get them sweaty firemans up in my house. You know what I'm saying? Talking about, Ooh. oh no, there's a grease fire in my kitchen. And they show up, and it's just me laying on the counter, covered in grease. Oh my goodness! Wearing a pair of raccoon meundies. Oh whoa! I like to paint a strong mental image for our listeners. And you're just screaming. This isn't what it looks like. This isn't what it looks like. It's micro modal, twenty times softer than cotton. (laughs) (coughs) 
<sighs> All right. Ooh. Um, got to shake the dust off a little bit. Unsurprisingly, you know what I was doing when you texted me? Uh, taking a that? nap. Taking a nap? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry I woke you up for oh, your nap. Oh, no, man. I was I stoked. I sprung up out of bed like it was Christmas morning. We just rarely get to go early, so I figure I was like, hey, if you're... Buddy, that's what I'm saying. down to go early, I am. If not, I'll see you at time. I got the text, and I was like, getting up. Let's get this shit set up. Um. All right. So, like I said, there's not a lot of Star Wars news to talk about this week, but there was one interesting bit of business out there. <clears throat> so, you know... Andor is filming right now, the Cassian spinoff show. Right. And we heard from someone who I had long assumed, as I'm sure a lot of people had, was going to be part of this um, television show, and that is Alan Tudyk, who was K2SO in Rogue One. And he basically said he's not in it. He's not in Andor. Uh, yeah. At least not yet is basically what he said. So there's a few things to unpack here. The first thing is a little bit of confusion because right before Star Wars Celebration Chicago in 2019, they announced that Alan Tudyk was going to be part of the Andor show. Right. Um. And he's been part of, like, D23 presentations about it and stuff. Now, we also know in the time between all of that, they've changed writers and showrunners and so on and so forth. So, very clearly, plans have changed. And at some point, they decided, I guess, to not feature K2SO, at least in the first season. Because I was about to say, is there going to be if there's going to be a second <laughs> season, it would make sense that would that would be some sort of build to, or you know season one finale reveal you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I uh, I had always sort of assumed, and I don't know why. Maybe it was because you know, it seemed like the Keno- you know the Kenobi show was seems like it's just a mini series, not a you know multi season type of deal. Um. But I had just assumed that Cassian was a miniseries and that it would be just one season. Uh, but something in the way that Alan Tudyk was talking about this news, something about that sort of led me to believe that there are plans for more than just one season of this. Because he said, you know, I'm not involved in it yet. And that if the show continues on, then I'll be involved or something to that effect, right? Right. So, it sounds to me like they're planning on maybe doing more than one season of this. And that's cool. Um, I guess. I feel like they found, Disney found its directional north with The Mandalorian. And mm-hmm. I can't imagine Andor being bad, you know, just based on that experience. Does that make sense? No. And, and the thing about Andor is it seems like it's even bigger of a production than Mandalorian. Uh, Not that Mandalorian is a small production, but like there's photos of like the sets of Andor floating around online right now. And also sort of that behind the scenes thing that they did um, for the investors meeting uh, at the end of last year that makes it seem like the 
production in general is a bit bigger as far as size of sets and aliens and stuff, you know. That sounds awesome. So, <coughs> yeah. Uh, I'll be interested to see how that all works out because I was looking forward to some more uh, Cassian and K2, but if it's sort of split um, before Cassian and K2 meet and then, you know, like you said, maybe that does sort of pop up towards the end or the, the end of the first season leads to him um, meeting K2SO, then I could see that uh, being cool and also giving you something really neat to look forward to in a second season. Right. So, <clears throat> um, every time Alan Tudyk shows up in something or in the news or whatever, I just remember this dude I used to work with a long time ago who pronounced his last name Tudicky. Yeah. And he'd be like, oh man, I really like Firefly. My favorite character's uh, Wash, you know, the guy that, that's played by Alan Tudicky. And yeah. like, in my head, I would just be like, I don't think that's how you say his last name. Yeah, it's clearly not. <laughs> it's all Alan Tudicky, baby. I can see his... Uh... His struggle, though, it's not. An, it's not a, by looking at it. It's, it's not, not the biggest stretch. Easy to see how it's how it's difficult to pronounce. Um. But yeah, yeah. I, on one hand, I feel I don't know because he didn't seem too bummed about it. It seems like you know they they've talked to him and said like, "Hey, we're not bringing you in yet, but there's a strong possibility we only will. because right." You're so featured next time. That's the old Luke deal. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so. But yeah, it does make me feel kind of bad because like I said, he's been at so many of these different appearances well, you know, and stuff. You know, honestly, I've, I've been watching some creepy shows on like sci-fi on demand or whatever. And one of the commercials they got running right now is him in his own show called Resident Alien, where he's like a detective or sheriff or something. Who's also an alien. Setting, who's also an alien. Yes, yeah. I've seen and it. And it, it seems promising. seems funny. Like, you know, the guy's funny. He's a good actor anyway. But uh, it seems like he's got a lot going on, you know, maybe. Yeah. I mean, maybe that could have... schedule it. Well, yeah, that's the other thing, right? Like, you bring up a really good point that I didn't consider. You know, with the amount of rescheduling and pushing back and everything and fucking pandemic shenanigans that's been going on. It could have simply been some sort of scheduling issue with getting him involved in the first season. That absolutely could be the case. So, and now, uh, and I guess we also need to leave open some sort of possibility that he's just pulling the, shrewd PR move you know what I mean where where I'm not in it but K2SO is <laughs> right right where you know maybe maybe he's just fucking around with us and he is isn't it? but it, it I don't know something about it seemed pretty uh, forthright and honest so I don't necessarily think that's the case if that makes right. sense but <clears throat> that's that's about what we got going on this week as far as newsworthy of discussion my dude um, pretty slow week as far as that's concerned so I'm glad I've held off on sort of filling you in on the High Republic stuff so why don't we jump over to voicemails and emails and then 
go from there. How's that sound? Sounds great. Awesome. Kia G. Kia G. Kia D. Cockhead. The only Jedi master who can crash box. Kia D. Cockhead. Running around slaying bitches with his cockhead. He's a big Surian stud. He loves to split chicks with his pud. Kia D. Cockhead. To stroke his cone and suck on his balls. Kia D. Cockhead. What you gonna do when he comes on you now? He's a Jedi Council stooge. But he'll be pumping spooge tomorrow. Cockhead. All right. First up, we've got a voicemail from Utah. 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 Dougie. Dougie. Haas and Will. It's Utah Dougie. Man, you guys gave me such a good shout out last week. That was just above and beyond and makes me feel warm inside. Anyways, I've been spending a lot of time down in the the dugout theater watching star wars and some of my kids could care less and uh but my nine-year-old daughter she is super into it and just getting just hooked right in there and she's been watching a lot of it with me we were re-watching a mandalorian season two where boba fett and mando show up to that planet and they chat with bo-katan and i forget the name of that other girl mando uh, I believe it's the wrestler Sasha Banks. I forget her in, in-universe character name, but her and Boba Fett fight and go toe-to-toe for a minute, and then their flamethrowers, uh, like, cancel each other out. And my daughter turned to me and said, well, that's got to be Boba Fett's daughter if they fight the same in their flamethrowers match. And I was like, well, maybe. Um, but I just wanted to know what you guys had to think about that. I know you talked a couple weeks back or maybe last week about uh, not really wanting Boba to have a clone of himself because it's kind of already been done, but maybe having other children. What if she is one of his unknown kids? And that is a theory for my kid. So this could be your new segment, Blue Harvest Children's Theories segment. Anyways, appreciate the podcast. You guys rock. Peace out. May the force be with you. Um, I don't know. I, I look. Is it the worst Star Wars theory I've heard? Absolutely not. Not even close. Like, as far as, far as, as a kid theory goes, it's pretty it's good. Pretty solid, right? Like, it's definitely better than any Star Wars theories I had as a kid. You know what I mean? Uh, and I do like the idea of Boba Fett having a daughter. I do. I do. I just feel like, um. I don't feel like that's her. Do we need another, like, <coughs> oh, here's a new character. Let's introduce this character. Excuse, excuse me. And then later on establish that she's related to someone. You know what I mean? Like, right. if we're going to find out that Boba Fett has some kind of a kid, I feel like 
there there would be a better way of introducing that than like the oh surprise parentage thing. You know what I mean? Right, right. <coughs> but I got to give uh uh I got to give daughter Dougie Utah daughter. I got to give Utah daughter uh, props for you know thinking outside the box and coming up with a better Star Wars theory than most grown ass adults I've heard when it comes to theorizing about Star Wars. Right. Um, and it seems like, um, man, I wish I could remember her name. Shit. It's escaping me right now, too. But it seems like that character is a little more tied in with, like, you know, the Bo-Katan side of Mandalorian and stuff. Mandalorian stuff, as opposed to, like, Right. Whatever the fuck is going on with Boba and his heritage and connection with Mandalorian culture. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't immediately consider Boba Fett's daughter to be a Mandalorian. Like he's not considered a Mandalorian, right? Well, I, or he's just considered able to own the armor. Right. That it's, you know, for something that I thought that they kind of explained uh pretty well, you know, in the in the episode where he showed up. Like where I was like, oh, okay, so I guess he is a Mandalorian. And then just a couple episodes later, Bo-Katan's like, you're not actually a Mandalorian, blah, blah, blah. It seemed like, you know, it got a little more confusing again, right? Right. So, yeah, I I don't know. Maybe his father was? Django? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know, buddy. I don't really care. The important thing to me is that my boy Boba's back, right? Like, Right. That's what gets me excited. But yeah, they, who knows? Who the hell knows? I, I'm, I'm waiting for that um, that visual guide or visual dictionary explanation there. Yeah, right. Okay, <clears throat> next up, together. we have um, Jim. Let's hear what Jim has to say. Good evening, Alton Will. How are you guys doing? I wanted to ask you about the rolling out of High Republic after these books. Uh, what would you prefer? I know we've got so many shows and movies and things coming up, and they've spelled it out for us over the next several years. We've got a lot to look forward to. But as we get exposed more and more to the High Republic, how would you prefer it? I would love for a, a very long knights of the high republic video game that's all canon and all these characters that maybe are somewhere in these books but you know their experience uh with the disaster and then maybe some animated and then live action to on disney plus series and then movies uh on finally on the big screen with by that time our favorite characters uh, what, how, how long do you see this take and how, and what order would you like, uh, would you guys like this to, un- how would you like to, it to unfold is what I'm asking. All right, gentlemen, uh, the green has been lit. <laughs> um, and so uh, what seems to be sort of the out, uh, put in the, the way they're rolling out the, high republic content is 
pretty cool with me right now. You know what I mean? Like they're putting out all this, um, all these books and comics and stuff. So if you want to jump in now, you've got that entry point and you can really get read up and familiar with this time in Star Wars history. And then eventually, you know, we are getting uh, a Disney Plus show, The Alkalite, which is set during this this era, right? Right. <clears throat> um, and with the whole High Republic thing being sort of three different phases, um, I kind of feel like that gives us plenty of time to get the kind of stuff that Jim is talking about. I think if games. you've got three phases of the High Republic, an animated show a piece does not seem unreasonable to me. But you know, I, I you may not you know maybe don't go that route. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I it seems, and you know, it's it's of course always hard to tell. Um, it seems pretty well received so far. The first couple of books, from what I can tell, people that have. Checked them out, seemed to be digging them. Two of the books um, debuted at number one and number two on the New York Times bestseller list. Right. Uh, so, you know, the sales seem to be there. Now, whether that level of con- excitement continues throughout, you know, what is possibly going to be three or four years of content, we'll see. Um, you know, I know... <clears throat> I don't know how that works. You know, I don't know if you see just sort of gradually diminishing sales in long running book series like that. I don't know how it goes, you know? Right. Um, but I definitely like all the stuff Jim talked about is stuff that I would love to see. Um, I would love to see animated series, video games, you know, um, we're getting a Disney plus show. The fact that the Disney Plus show is set at sort of the end of that era does make me wonder, like, how much bearing all of the books and stuff are going to have on that show. Like, how much influence. Because it's the the High Republic era spans such a time span. You know what I mean? Like, over... Shit. It's like a hundred... I don't know, 130, 150 years that the era takes place over. Right. So that's time for like characters to die and new characters to show up and things like that. So, um, it, to me, it's, you know, it's kind of a wait and see how it all plays out. And if it all eventually led to a movie, then fuck yeah, I'm down with that. Oh yeah. Fuck yeah. Oh um, yeah. I just uh I feel like there's probably a lot of things considering every time they talk about this high republic stuff there seems to be something new announced, something new and surprising, be it, you know, just more books or the Alkalite show or you know, uh an original manga or graphic novel. Something tells me they've got even more surprises up their sleeve. So I wouldn't be surprised if there is, you know, animated series, movie, that would be awesome. video game. Video game is the big one for me. <clears throat> and I think that's just because Knights of the Old Republic 
um, holds such a special place to me. You know what I mean? The game. Yeah. And it was such a um, exciting time to be a fan of Star Wars gaming uh, as a kid. Not even a kid, but, you know, a young adult that uh, I'd really like to see them sort of replicate that with this new era of Star Wars and it be integrated in the canon a little more cleanly and all that good stuff. So, yeah. All right. So we do, we have an email from Sam about high Republic. I'm going to save that for our spoiler section. Yeah. Seems like uh, the best thing to do, but we also have an email from our buddy, Kobe, Kobe, Mr. 100. Oz and Will, how's it hanging? I hope you're doing well. So back in November, I stumbled upon a great deal on Facebook Marketplace, and I knew I had to purchase it. Someone was selling five Lego Star Wars Ultimate Collector sets, including the Falcon, Star Destroyer, Slave One, Snowspeeder, and Sandcrawler for a very reasonable price. So I bought like 20,000 pieces of Lego that was thrown into one big bin. So as you can imagine, it's going to be a while until they're all built. Oh, wow. As I was building these massive sets, I had this thought burning in my mind. If all of the Star Wars companies contacted you and said you could have any scene, ship, or building, or whatever, made into diorama form, it can be for Lego or an action figure set or whatever, size and price is no issue. You get it for free, by the way. What would you choose? Think about your ultimate childhood fantasy playset. Personally, I would choose either the Geonosian re- Arena or the Jedi Temple. And then he's got a he's got a, a follow up thing after this, but let's discuss this first. <coughs> um, okay, straight up playsets okay. from a kid. Mm-hmm. I would want the Hoth scene, and I would want um, the trench run. Ooh. And uh, and then maybe I mean this is this is big balls, but we, we you know that's where we're, we're taking it. Uh, the Millennium Falcon that could go inside the Death Star and uh, pretend to blow up the core. Oh, like in Return of the Jedi? Yeah. Oh, that'd yeah. be cool. So for me, play sets like that. Like to me. If I could have any dream diorama, and it would be huge. Like, most of the ones I'm thinking of would be huge, right? So, I would want... uh, One of the first ones that comes into mind for me would be uh, the Star Destroyer bridge set from Empire Strikes Back with all the bounty hunters lined up, but in Hot Toys scale. Ooh, wow. Okay, so like that would be that huge. That would be neat because you know each of those hot toys is a foot tall, and to build, would, you'd be like a train guy with a basement set up. Yes, you know. Like yes, a... it would have to have basically its own wall devoted to just this, right? Um, right. And then you know how like they're sort of lined up, and there's the window behind them or whatever. Yeah. Um, have that be like a an uh, uh, LED panel screen like almost a tv that's cool so you could have like 
an animated space background behind him. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, they're not. They're actually not lined up in front of a window. Now that I think about it, they're lined up on the bridge. They're on in, the bridge in front of the trench uh, with all the workers. Down yeah. There. Yeah, that would be one that I'd be really down with. And I don't know that you would really consider it a diorama. Once again, this would be bigger than like my kitchen table that I'm recording at right now. I just went straight for play sets. Mm-hmm. I dropped the diorama thing. I, I um, guess I answer correctly. But mine would be uh, another one that I think would be really cool is a Hot Toys scaled Slave 1 from a Boba Fett. Well, that would be cool. But like I said, that would be like, there's no way imaginable they would make that. It would be thousands upon thousands of dollars. You would have to hire a crew to assemble it Mm -hmm. in a specific room in your house. Like there might have to be cranes involved and shit. Ooh, let's put another floor on the house while we're at it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that would be, uh, be something and they they haven't done a ton of vehicles in sort of the hot toys stuff like they've done um darth maul speeder bike from the phantom menace but, you know that's quite a bit smaller i think they're right. doing um you know uh, a mando on the speeder bike um from mandalorian uh that seems to be the more vehicle scale that they've done i know in other properties, Hot Toys has done some pretty big shit. Like they've done a, a DeLorean for Back to the Future. They've done oh, that's cool. a couple of different versions of the Batmobile. So you know, I know Batmobile is um, a good one because there's a lot of different versions. Yeah, yeah. But to me, the only, like that '89 Batmobile is where it's at, my dude. Oh really? The animated series Batmobile. That one's good too. I don't know too. why, but there's a specific, like, there's a special place in my heart for that one. You know, I honestly feel like your Batmobile, a preference, might be sort of tied to the one who's you, Batman in your memory the most. Yeah, or that you saw the most, or like that you saw at a certain age as a kid. Because, like, yeah. you know, eighty nine, well, when that eighty nine Batman movie came out, I was like six. Yeah, I was like four. So, like, that was. You know, that was the beginning of Batman fever for me. Like, I vividly remember waiting in line at the theater, hoping that me and my dad could get in to see 89 Batman, you know. And then... That's pretty cool. So, you, when did the Batman animated series start? I don't remember. Was that like 92? For sure. It was. It would be the Batman I would have seen the most. Yeah, ninety two. So what that that would have made you like six or seven, right? Right. Yeah. So that makes perfect sense. You saw that around the time I saw uh, Batman eighty nine. So yeah, yeah, that one. And you're not wrong. That is a kick ass Batmobile. And I hate to say <laughs> it, but I don't hate. I don't hate Batman Forever as much as everyone else seems to. I know I don't care for Batman and Robin, but I don't hate Batman Forever. I thought Val Kilmer did a kick-ass job, and so did you know Jim Carrey. Like I thought they were great. Uh, I'm also kind of with you on that, buddy. I don't dislike Batman Forever. I and I'll tell you this: 
I, I watched. I see the cheese. Like I get yeah. it. Like I I know it's cheesy, but it still it still feels like Batman. You know what I mean? Like it still feels <laughs> um, like Batman. Batman Forever was the first movie I saw multiple times in the theater as a kid. It was also the first movie that like I wanted to see so many times that my parents were just like, hey, we're going to drop you off at the movie theater and go do some shit if you really want to go see that movie again. Because once was enough for us, my dude. <laughs> so I saw that movie, I think, like, I don't know, three times in the theater. And yeah. two of those were by myself. Um, That's kind of funny. And I watched Batman Forever pretty recently, within the last three months. I watched it on HBO Max. Um, and Batman also, and Robin oof. was the first movie that really, you know, when you're a kid, you know, every movie is good. You're right? about like, to say the exact thing I was thinking. Go on. And it's like I saw Batman and Robin and then I thought to myself, I mean, it was good, but like, was it bad? Can... Can are there bad, bad movies? Like, can it be bad? Like, can it? It can't. I mean, like, it's cool. Mr. Freeze was cool. Arnold Schwarzenegger mm. Freeze. He was fine. Chill <laughs> out, you know. Uh, and I was like, Uma Thurman was a good Poison Ivy. Like, that's the only redeeming quality of that movie, you know. The bane in that is awful. And that yeah. was... So, you had the exact same reaction. Batman and Robin is one of the first movies I can remember being like disappointed in as a kid Yeah. to the point yeah. where I went home after seeing it and I called up a buddy of mine and I was like, Hey, I just got back from seeing Batman and Robin and it was, I think it was bad. Like I needed to call someone for some support where I was like, I, I, I don't know how to deal with this dude. I just saw right. Batman and Robin and I'm, Pretty sure that was not good. Yeah, I was yeah. shaken to my core. <clears throat> and, you know, going into it, hearing that Bane was in it and being such a fan of, like, the Nightfall comics and shit. Right. Thinking I was Bane's going to be yeah. uh, so excited. And it did not turn out well. All right. Let's move on to um, the rest of Kobe's email. Lastly, you know what time it is. Pick between these two concerts, but with a twist. Concert number one. Metallica, but they only play Escape and songs from Garage Inc. Concert number two. Creed, but they play half-decent Tool covers. Like they sound good, but it's still Scott Stapp singing. Bonus, <laughs> bonus points if you do a Scott Stapp singing Tool impression. Hope you have a great day. Kobe, Mr. 100. Um, yeah, I, I agree with Will. Metallica is the answer. Even if I have to hear Escape, which is the only bad song off of Ride the Lightning, I like um a whole lot of the Garage Inc. album. That's their cover yeah. albums. Like, hearing them do their Merciful Fate medley, worth the price of admission alone for me. Like, yeah. Like, it's Metallica. You know, I'd watch them play a lot of stupid shit. Yeah, and, and I don't consider most of those covers on Garage Inc. to be bad. There's actually yeah. a lot of really good ones. So that would be my answer. Now, what would Scott Stapp singing... Um, what would Scott Stapp singing Tool sound like? So I would have to start... Like, can I do a Scott Stapp? Let me see. Like, um, 
I know the pea shells fit. <laughs> okay, like I, I'd have to establish a baseline Scott stab. So let me do that first. It would be like, um, well, I just heard the news today. It seems my life is gonna change. That's kind of a Scott Stapp type thing, right? When I'm wide open, when I'm wide open, <laughs> So then if it was him doing Tool, it would be, um, uh, oh, I can't do it. I can't change it. You did way better than me, Will. So bonus points to you. Whatever. <laughs> I immediately tried to go into it and got embarrassed and fucking pulled the eject not push the eject bo- button on that bit <coughs> all right who are you to wave your finger you must have been hit your heel deep in dirty water that's pretty good it's getting better oh lord all right um, let me double check. Okay, like I said, we have an email from Sam, but it's about the High Republic, so we'll save that for in just a few minutes. Uh, you want to jump in to some High Republic chatter? Yes. Okay. Why, yes. So, guys, I'm going to play a little ditty, and if you don't want to hear High Republic spoilers, then... Uh, then stop now and we'll see you next week but if you've read it or you don't care then uh, continue on who are you to wave your finger you must have been out your head I hold deep in muddy waters you practically raised the dead rob the grave to snow So, what's going to happen here is I'm going to do my best to tell Will a story. And that story is sort of a brief synopsis of the first High Republic novel, Light of the Jedi, by Charles Soule. So, buddy, I've been thinking about how I was going to break this down to you. Right. And there's so many characters and so many new characters that I think the best starting point for me would be give you to give you like a sort of a quick briefing on the general state of things in this era of Star Wars, right? Yeah. <clears throat> What's the galaxy like? Right. So, you know, the whole concept of this this era of Star Wars, at least how it starts off, is that you're in a relative time of peace, right? The High Republic is flourishing. They are expanding out into the Outer Rim and trying to colonize planets. Um, The current chancellor of the High Republic is a lady named Lena So. 
And she is real into this idea of creating great works. These huge technological advancements and things that can sort of demonstrate um, the power and ability of the New Republic and, and sort of try and bring all the different regions and worlds together, right? Right. So as this novel kicks off, her most recent great work is um, almost done being built. And it's this space station called the Starlight Beacon, right? Scar okay. The Starlight Beacon is a space station that's sort of on the edge of the outer rim. And it's meant to be like what it sounds like a beacon to the outer rim and it serves several pur purposes it's a space station it's a jet there's a jedi temple on board um you know it's wow. it, it's like a huge intergalactic mall kind of and it also works as a giant telecommunications beacon it strengthens communications to the outer rim right okay <clears throat> um and uh, things sort of get kicked off in the whole story when there's this sort of great disaster that happens. And what happens is there's a ship called the Legacy Run who's traveling through hyperspace. And when it's traveling, it detects something in the hyperspace lane, which is not something that's supposed to happen, right? Because hyperspace okay. is just supposed to be a, you know, they enter the hyperspace lane at one, one point, and they come out at this other point, right? All right. Well, the captain of this ship um, does her best to avoid this object or whatever it is that she they detect in the hyperspace lane. And she's just barely able to avoid it. But unfortunately, what happens is the ship is not able to withstand the strain of trying to avoid this object. And it completely breaks apart. And it basically disintegrates. I don't know that disintegrates is the right word because to me, disintegrate means there's nothing left, right? Well, if your ship pulls apart in hyperspace, who knows? Disintegration could be the price. Well, <clears throat> what that ha what well what happens is this giant because this ship is huge. It's carrying all kinds of shit, including a lot of people traveling to different places in the outer rim. So, luckily, what she does is she uh, locks down all the transportation modules and, like, the living modules. She seals those. But the, the ship completely breaks apart, and what that does is it basically sends large pieces of space trash hurtling through hyperspace and then dropping out of hyperspace in random areas and causing disasters. Wow. So it's sort of the first time it happens, it happens in this system called the Hetzal system, right? right? And all these bits of this ship, which that's they don't know that's what it is at first, <clears throat> drop out of space and they start destroying, you know, communication satellites. They, are they moving at the speed of light? Or near, are they just like meteorites? They're moving at near hyperspeed. Okay. So not quite hyperspeed, but near hyperspeed. Right. And they're causing massive damage, like world-ending events, hitting moons, wiping out moons, like right, killing all kinds of people. 
So they send out a distress call, and the Republic sends the Jedi to help. And that's where you start to sort of get an idea of what the Jedi in this era are like. And they're just like cleaning up afterward, like, you know, trying to take care of people, huh? Well, no, they're showing up to try and prevent more destruction. So when the Jedi show up... I figure it was over, but it's not over. No, in fact, because of the nature of hyperspace, these hyperspace, they call them emergences. When when pieces of the legacy run show up in a system and start wreaking havoc, they, they seem they don't give it a huge like a, a definite time frame, but it seems like it happens over a period of like a couple of months even. Cause they because it's so random, they have a hard time tracking when and where these emergences are gonna happen. Right. So some Jedi show up uh, with the New Republic and the Headsaw system, and that's where you start to get an introduction to some of the main Jedi players. Um, and one, I don't even know that you could say that there's one um, main character in the story. It, it sort of bounces back and forth between a lot of characters. <clears throat> but I could, I would say that one that you could say is closest to the main character is this Jedi by the name of Avar Chris, right? Avar Chris. Yes, and she is a Jedi who specializes in essentially Jedi battle meditation. Okay. Um, what is that? Do you remember Jedi battle meditation from Knights of the Old Republic? That was That was sort of um, Bastila's specialty was Jedi battle meditation. <clears throat> but basically what she's able to do is reach out in the Force and connect all the Jedi in her area together. And they do this really, he does this really cool thing in the book where he sort of describes how each different Jedi perceives the Force. So, for instance, um, Avar Chris perceives the Force as this song, this galactic song that she can, that every living being has a voice in and that she can connect to. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, like, there's a... a um, a Wookiee Jedi named Buriaga, and he perceives the Force as this giant tree, and he is just a lone leaf on this tree. But it's he's connected to the tree and its root system, and et cetera, et cetera. Right. Right. Um, so the Jedi show up and immediately go into work, right, trying to do whatever it is they can. Um, and you know they quickly sort of find out, like. Because when they show up, they're just like, okay, let's just destroy all this debris and shit before it hits moons and, you know, critical infrastructure and causes disasters, right? Right. Well, they show up with that in mind, and a group of Jedi are out in my favorite piece of new technology in these books, which is the Jedi Vector Starfighter. The Jedis have their own starfighters that are called vectors and they've got a really cool design i'll send you a a picture of one hell yeah and they're um they're specifically built to be piloted by jedi and the jedi have developed this technique called a drift where you know sort of a squadron 
um, of Jedi in these ships will fly in formation, all connected to each other in the force. Okay. So flying in like, you know, perfect formation and <clears throat> doing maneuvers and stuff together. And they call this a drift. Another cool thing about um, the vector starships is uh, that they have a special way that they uh, engage the West weapon systems in these. So like, you know, it's not just jumping in the ship and hitting some, some buttons and it turns on the weapon system. The Jedi basically use their lightsabers as an activation key. So if someone were to jump in their vector ship and take off, they wouldn't be able to activate the weapon systems without that Jedi's lightsaber, which I huh. thought was just a neat little detail. <clears throat> well, anyway, um, the uh, this group of vectors is chasing down this piece of debris that's headed towards a moon. And the piece of debris, they sort of you know say that it's big enough that if it hits this moon, millions or billions of people are dead. You know what I mean? Because there's people living on this moon in the Hetzal system. And right. as they're approaching it to destroy it, the Jedi Buriaga, the the uh, Wookiee Jedi I was telling you about, he senses like, yo, that's not just a piece of space trash. There's living people on it. So, you know, when the captain of the Legacy Run locked the ship down, it sent those passenger compartments that were sealed off hurtling through space, too. My goodness. Without any control, you know? So, then it becomes, instead of like, it becomes a double rescue mission. They got to figure out how to stop this and save the people that are on board, right? Yeah. Um, which they do eventually do. They they work with a um, a pilot whose name is escaping me, and they figure out how to slow um, that piece of debris down and save the people on board. <clears throat> and like the first half of the book, sort of just cuts back and forth between Jedi doing heroic ass shit during this disaster in the Hedzal system. Like you meet. Um, this Jedi master Loden great storm. Who's one of my favorite characters in the book and his, um, his Padawan bell. Right. And they're on right. sort of the main planet of the heads all system sort of just, per they go there to provide aid and see if, you know, they can help people evacuate or whatever it is they can. And they end up sort of getting involved in this dispute with like, a wealthy family who has this big transport ship that they're not allowing people to get on and stuff for evacuation purposes. Right. Um, and then the big moment, like the big sort of concluding moment of this head saw disaster is one of the pieces of debris that enters the system is headed right towards the sun, which, you know, if it was just a normal piece of debris, wouldn't be a big deal. It'd hit the sun right. and probably just evaporate. But the fact that there are survivors on it. No, it's not that. It is a giant shipment of Tabana gas. Oh my, so it's going to explode. And possibly cause the sun to explode with it. And oh basically goodness. wipe out the entire system. 
Oh my god. <laughs> so Avar Chris does this ballin' ass shit where she uses her her special ability, her Jedi battle meditation, to connect hundreds of Jedi. All the Jedi in the system, even Jedi well outside of the system. Yoda joins in in this huge sort of meditation where they are trying to move this piece of debris through the force because they can't get to it in, in time. It's too right. close to the sun. They're, there's no time to get to it and stop it from colli colliding. So in a last-ditch effort, she links all these hundreds of Jedi together to use the force to try to change the trajectory of this uh, container full of Tabana gas mine or Tabana gas, right? Right. And it's so intensive that several Jedi die doing oh this goodness. just from overexertion and connecting to the force and stuff. But um, the that, that brings levity to Luke Skywalker's death or it sets, you know, historic precedent. Right. Right. I didn't even think about that. So, you know, yeah. they, Before they, then no one knew you could die from, you know, overuse of the force. Right. And now historically people have, and, um, you know, despite all that, they're able to actually get it to move just enough the, to where, like, it even it grazes, you know, sort of the outer perimeter of the sun, but it misses it and saves the whole system. Like oh I was God. telling you a couple of weeks ago, like, if Jedi doing heroic-ass <laughs> shit is your thing, you should probably check this book out because it's pretty awesome. It sounds pretty epic. Uh, and that kind of wraps up the first half of the book. The whole, like I said, first half of the book is introducing dozens of characters, you know, technology, and and saving this Hedzal system from this disaster. And then the second half of the book deals with sort of everything else that happens after that, which includes um, the Chancellor, Lena So, who, by the way, is a really cool character. It's cool to see, you know a chancellor in star Wars be ostensibly a good person. Cause you know, we have uh Palpatine who's not a great example of that. Um, and it, it, they really make it clear that she cares about the Republic and, um, something else that's really cool. is she has two giant fucking space Panther slash tiger pets that follow her everywhere. And they're not, um, you know, intelligent, but they're empathic. So they can sense her feelings and stuff. Right. And so basically, the Chancellor of the Republic in this time has two giant big cats that follow her big around. Yeah, bodyguards. Yeah, which you know I'm a big fan of. Oh, so, hell yeah. So she decides, like, look, we can't risk another one of these disasters because after that happens in the Hetzal system, it happens in other systems, too. Um, where, you know, this fuck, these emergences happen and they just wreak havoc and millions of people die. And, uh, so sad. yeah. So she's like, okay, so we need to figure out what the fuck happened, how to stop it, how to detect, you know, if there's going to be more of these emergences, how, how to find out where they're going to happen. And then in the meantime, we have to shut down all travel to the outer rim. All the hyperspace lanes have to be blocked because 
we can't let another one of these ships break apart and then start fucking <coughs> raining death down on random systems, you know? Yeah, and you got to find out what's that object in hyperspace. Right. So, um, and this causes like all kinds of problems because there's worlds in the outer rim who are dependent on shipments of food and medicine. Supplies. Yeah. yeah, supplies. And, you know, there's food riots on these towns and stuff. So, you know, she's like, we got to figure this out and we got to figure this out quick. Okay. Then cut to sort of the introduction of the villains of this sort of era, or at least this first phase of the High Republic, which are the Nile, right? Right. The Nile, in all the promotion uh, for this, this you know, stuff, this High Republic stuff, they kind of um, describe them as space Vikings. Yes. And that's not necessarily a bad description or incorrect description of what they are Um, they're raiders but what makes them special is well sort of how their their um their leadership and stuff is set up but they are able to travel through hyperspace in a way that nobody else is okay really how is that so okay there are three Tempest leaders of the Nile. There's a guy named Cossack, a lady named uh, Lorna D, and uh, I can't remember the third one's name off the top of my head. There's a lot of characters. And they, they're called Tempests. And beneath them, they have their own crews that have their own ships. And basically, there's this rule of three, like... You go on this job, you split it three ways, but sort of at the head of the Nile is this character, Martian Rowe. Martian Rowe is the eye of the Nile, and he provides them with something called paths, and all their ships have specific, specially designed path engines, and paths are essentially shortcuts through hyperspace that no one else knows about, right? Basically... Einstein, Rosenberg, wormholes, right? I guess, kind of. So, like, if if you imagine, like, a hyperspace lane as a straight line from an entry point to an exit point, right? Yeah. These Nile paths are able to just zigzag through hyperspace. So, they're able to pop out in systems in places people wouldn't expect. They pop out, cause a bunch of havoc, steal a bunch of shit, kill a bunch of people, and then, boom, they're out of there right and they they operate in the outer rim they don't fuck with the mid rim or the inner rim like they're trying to stay off of the republic's radar <clears throat> but what's real fascinating about it is the way that Martian Rowe gets these paths is he has an old lady named Mari Santeca you remember Lore Santeca yes from the force awakens yes well one of his dis- not descendants. One of his, what's the opposite of a descendant? Someone that came before you. Uh, ancestor. One of his ancestors is this lady named Mari Santeca, who at the time of this first book is well over 100 years old. She's being kept alive in this medical pod because, you know, she's well past her expiration date. 
and Marcion Rowe is keeping her alive because she's able to go into this weird trance where she can calculate and figure out these paths. And so she goes into this trance like situation, figures out these paths, gives them to Marcion. He then, you know, will, you know, come up with job, like the rest of the Nile will come up with jobs and he'll be like, all right, well to do this job, I'll give you these paths so you can get in and out quickly. And then they cut him in on the profits. Okay. Wow. <clears throat> so you're right. This is a lot of characters and a lot of yes, stuff. dude. And I'm going to get pronunciations wrong. I will get details wrong. I'm sorry about that. You know, like I'm doing my best here. You know what I mean? Doing, you're doing good. You're doing really good. I'm following so far. Okay. So these are the Nile and they're, um, they're fucked up. And Martian, he's real worried about the starlight beacon because basically the Republic's moving in on their territory and he does not want the attention of the Republic, much less the Jedi. So what he says is like, look, we need to lay low for a little while and come up with a plan. And in the meantime, like, no, no, I'm not going to give you guys any paths. I'm not going to give you, you know, we're not going to do any raids. We're going to play it cool. Once this whole thing works itself out, then we'll get back to the business of being fucking raiders or whatever. Yeah. Well, one of his, one of the Tempest runners comes to him and says like, look, before you cut everything off, I have a job on Elfrona that I want to do. And it's, it should be easy. We're going to pop in. There is the family of like an Alderanian dignitary or something that are living on the outskirts of town. They're miners. They've decided, you know, to rough it out and be miners. Let us go there, kidnap them, and then ransom them for a bunch of money. You know, one last job before we cut, before we the shut old, it all down. The oldie, one last job before yeah. we retire. Yes, exactly. So he's like, all right, fine. Now, you will know the planet Alfrona. I didn't realize this um, until our buddy Sal clued me in. I was actually on Sal's podcast the rogue rebels podcast talking about this book i don't think he's released the episode yet so keep an eye out for it everybody if you if he hasn't yet okay do you remember (laughs) those um kylo ren comics that we read last year and talked about yeah i do do you remember the planet that kylo lore santeca and um luke went to where they met the knights of ren and they were do not they okay, so they went to this temple, or they went to I this remember. planet, and there was this Jedi temple that they were getting like artifacts and stuff from, and the Knights of Ren showed up and threw down with them. And this yeah. is when Kylo's a kid. Yeah, that's Elfrona. Basically, Luke whips every single one of their ass. Right? Yes, that's Elfrona. So, and by the way, that comic written by Charles Soule, the same author as okay. this book. Okay. So the problem with the Nile doing this um, this kidnapping job on Elfrona is there's a Jedi outpost. And there's not a ton of Jedi there. But who happens to be there is Loden Greatstorm, his apprentice Bell, who were involved in, you know, saving the Head Saul system. Right. 
There's also a Jedi named Porter, who's basically, at this point, um, retired. They sort of explain that as you get older in the Jedi Order, they let you decide what you want to do. Like, once you've you know served quite a while as a Jedi... You know, and a lot, a lot of Jedi just decide to like live out the rest of their life in the temple on Coruscant. But this guy Porter has decided to live at the Jedi outpost on Elfrona, and he's a chef. He's a chef oh Jedi. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! <laughs> and like he's known so for kind of being... like Count Dooku, right? Like you got he got old and well, yeah, like, he's oh, a, you um... can go be a count. And still be a Jedi? No, that Count Dooku did. They didn't say, "Yo, you can go do this." He was like, "Fuck this shit! I'm gonna go do this." You know what oh, I mean? Okay. okay. <laughs> it was more of an act of defiance. Um, I and see. in Bell's previous life, he was known as the Blade of Bardota. Like he has this badass sort of medieval knight sounding name. So oh, nice. you know, at some point, he was a real badass. Right. Um, but now he's just you know hanging out cooking up nine egg omelets and shit. Um, and they get a distress call that's like, hey, uh, we're... Well, they don't get it. The security force on Elfrona gets this distress call that's like, hey, we're being attacked by the Nile. And the it's real fucked up. The security force is like, hey, um, that we sucks don't... For you. Yeah, basically they're like, that sucks for you. By the time we get out there, it'll be too late. So, Fight see, hard. see, you I wouldn't want to be you. Um, Have a good death. Today <laughs> is a good day to die. And then, you know, so the the Jedi end up getting contacted about it. And, you know, the Jedi aren't just going to fucking sit around and let that happen. Abandon, yeah. So they <clears throat> fucking book it and make their way out there by the time they get out to the house the family which is a husband a wife and two kids have already been taken um and they've laid the nile have laid traps and so like the jedi's big transport they were using gets blown up so what they do is they hop on the back of these sort of like pack animals that the family were keeping called steelies yeah and the chase is on dude they're chasing the nile trying to get to them before they make it to the ship that's crazy this is a crazy book <laughs> i bet it's intense to read yeah and and it it doesn't all go linearly like this like there are breaks where it goes to different characters but i'm trying to keep it straight and sort of tell you storylines in a straight line you know what right. i mean so it's not like this happens and then it just all the way goes to its conclusion. Like right, one chapter, right, no. right? You know what I mean? And then it'll cut to I somebody else and what they're doing. And that they're, that we have cut a lot out, you know? I yeah. I can't tell you the whole story. I'm trying to give you the, the, um, the deets. What do you call it? What was those yellow books? They always told you not to use in school. Cliff, uh, notes. cliff notes. Trying to give Part you the cliff notes. notes. Yeah. <clears throat> so the chase is on. They managed to catch up to the Nile. Sort of. Like, there's some shenanigans that go on. The Nile try to lay some ambushes. Um, Porter, the Jedi chef, whips a whole lot of ass in the process. Loden and Bell take off. Still chasing them down. There's a lady Jedi whose name I can't re remember who they send back to the Jedi outpost to get two of the Vector ships. 
that he's like, yes. hey, go back and get a vector in case they make it to their ship and get airborne. And <clears throat> they chase him down. The lady shows up with the vector. And long story short, they end up chasing this Nile ship into atmosphere and into space right as a bunch of Nile reinforcements show up. And everybody in the family gets rescued. The mom and the two kids, except for the dad. And through some, you know, shenanigans, load in Great Storm and the dad from the family both get end up getting taken by the Nile. So now the Nile have the father from the family and like a super well-renowned Jedi master in their possession. Okay. <clears throat> so meanwhile, uh, the Republic and the rest of the Jedi are trying to figure out this whole emergence thing. They work with this guy who builds a giant supercomputer with, um, I can't even, it's, it's like he uses astro navigation droids, a bunch of them, like hundreds or thousands of them chained together to calculate where the emergences are going to be so they can try to cut them off before they happen. And through this whole process, basically what they discover is that the uh, the thing that was in the hyperspace lane that caused the disaster yeah. was a Nile ship. Oh. So what happened was while one of these Nile ship was skipping around, zigzagging through space, it popped into this hyperspace lane right as the Legacy Run was coming through. And the Legacy Run had to, you know, veer course to avoid it and ended up shattering and sending all this shit through space, right? Right. <clears throat> and then there's some stuff with like... It kind of feels like hyperspace wars. I know maybe that's what it's intended to feel like, but... It does a little bit, right? Maybe then they're going to do like a hyperspace wars history thing and they... Um, and, you know, when, when that stuff was kind of being revealed in the book, I was like, oh, was it just a fucked up accident? Like, was it just, oh, um, you know, the Nile, like... Traffic accident, basically? Yeah, basically, right? Wrong place, wrong time. But as the book goes on, you start to find out that Martian Rowe, he's like, everybody else is playing checkers, this motherfucker's playing chess. Oh. So it turns out, not only did he mean for that to happen and plan it, like... He's got this huge all-encompassing plan, which is in, which includes like, um, he's the one that contacts the Jedi outpost on Elfrona to get them to go chase after that family. Yeah, he's the one that causes the hyperspace accident. So it wasn't an accident; he, it was something he planned and wanted to happen. Um, and then basically he starts screwing over the leaders of the Nile. And there's this one guy, Kossiv, who's one of the leaders, who's like, he's like, look, if they get the flight recorder from the legacy run, they're going to know it's us and they will not stop until we're all dead. So he sends Kossiv and Kossiv's entire fleet, every Nile ship that's under this dude Kossiv, to intercept what he tells them is just going to be a transport ship with a couple of escorts that's transporting this um, flight recorder from the legacy run. That's what he tells them. 
Well, what's actually there when Kossov shows up is a huge Republic fleet. Wow. And a huge space battle ensues where it seems like the Republic think that this is the entirety of the Nile force, even though it's not. And then Martian Rowe contacts him and says like, Hey, um, I know you killed my father. Like, cause that's something they sort of established is that before Martian Rowe was the eye of the Nile, his dad was right. Oh, wow. And he died under sort of mysterious circumstances. And ever since then, Martian has just sort of like assumed it was one of the three Tempest leaders or whatever. So what Martian does is he takes control of all their path engines and has their ships just start randomly popping in and out of hyperspace in this battle. So you know the Holdo maneuver? Yes. Imagine that happening dozens and dozons of times, but you you know instead of Holdo's ship shooting off in a straight line, they're popping in and out of hyperspace randomly through this huge battle. So like ships will enter hyperspace and then pop up in the middle of a new Republic ship and completely destroy both ships. Oh, wow. Like these, basically these big sort of suicide runs. And he does all this, uh, to basically take out to, to, you know, sort of damage the new Republic and take out Kossiv and his entire fleet. One of his, you know, like uh, subordinates, basically. Right. Um, and so he betrays this Kossov guy. He dies. All these Nile ships die. And then Martian uses this as like a rallying cry for the Nile, where he's like, you know, we are not going to be afraid of the New Republic anymore. We're going to lie low and then. When it comes time, we're not going to operate just in the outer rim. We're going to be in the outer rim, in the mid rim, in the inner rim. We're going to, like, he's basically laying out, like, this is the start of it. We are going to fuck over the New Republic. And we don't have to be afraid of them or the Jedi. Do you see what we were able to do in this battle? Does that make sense, kind of what I'm saying? Yeah, it does. Um. So that was also all part of his plan. And then as the book sort of wraps up, you know, he goes to see Loden Greatstorm, who he has in his um, sort of detention level of his ship. And he's got him restrained in the way he's restraining him. Because, you know, he's a Jedi, right? Like you would think like just your typical restraints and stuff wouldn't work. So the way he's dampening Loden's powers is he's got like in all the cell cells that surround him are just normal folks who are randomly being tortured by droids and their sort of pain and agony and stuff and mixed with Loden's connection to the force and his connection to everyone around him mm-hmm. are overloading him and, and dampening his connection to the force. Am I explaining that? Well, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, you are. 
So basically, he's using pain and suffering around this Jedi to. He's basically torturing him. people all around this guy to make to like weaken him. His yes. Kryptonite. Yes. And this is where sort of the central mystery I feel for at least a little while is introduced, where he explains to to Loden like, um, my name's not really Martian Rowe, um, and. Like he he and his family have some huge beef with the Jedi that's unexplained. Yikes. He's like basically he says like you know the Jedi fucked us over and we want revenge. And he's got I don't know what the fuck it is or what purpose it serves, but he's got this rod that's like got weird carvings in it and stuff. Yeah, that he shows Loden that Loden seems to have some recognition of it what it is but they do not explain it so like there's something going on with this character interesting he's got some big personal history with the jedi or his family does and he is not a fan <coughs> um and then uh that's sort of where the nile stuff wraps up and as far as the republic stuff goes they get Starlight Beacon open, and everything seems cool. They're under the impression like, oh, we dealt with the Nile threat. Good for us. Um, so they open up Starlight Beacon. They reopen all of the um, uh, hyperspace lanes so people are able to travel to the Outer Rim like they were before. And it just seems like, oh, shit, things are back to normal. You know, a bunch of people died, but we really banded together and got this shit s solved. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and clear, you know, clearly that's not the case. It it tries, it leaves, it ends on sort of a high note with like this, you know, this dedication store, uh, ceremony for this kick-ass space station. But clearly with also an ominous note because the Nile are still out there and they've, Got some fucked up plans going on. They're brewing something bad. Mm -hmm. So that's basically it, buddy. I mean... You did I, a fantastic job. I don't know if I did, but I did my best. I would say that you did. It's a pretty compelling story. <laughs> it is, and I can't wait to see where it goes. And I will definitely keep you abreast of sort of the big strokes. You know what I mean? I sure hope so, yeah. As I can continue to go forward. Um, reading all the stuff. I, I still need to check out the comic. I haven't checked it out yet. Um, all right. Um, oh, and there's also a fuck. There's a lot of cool characters that I didn't even talk about. There's a, an Athorian Jedi. There's a Tran, Trandoshan Jedi named Skier, who's real badass, who loses an arm in, uh, in the events of the book. It? Yes, it starts to regrow because he's a lizard person. Right. Nice. Okay, so let's get to Sam's email about the High Republic, and then we'll call it a night. He says, Howdy, right. Halls and Will. Reading through Light of the Jedi, I enjoyed the limited number of Easter eggs like Yariel Poof, Oppo Rancisis, and Yoda. That's true. All three of those characters do make brief appearances. Oh, and, you know I like me some Oppo Rancisis. Yeah, and he and Yariel Poof are on the Jedi Council at this point. Still. Oh, cool. So... Um, as we think about the future with Alkali on the horizon, do you think 
We are working toward the story of Plagueis in that series. I don't know, but I got it. So I kind of discussed this with Sal. You know, we we have no allusions to the Sith as far as I can tell in Light of the Jedi. But 100% they are behind the scenes doing shit at this point, you know? Right? Like... will yeah like they've got to be somewhere you know scheming and doing shit right um and we know in the phantom menace they say like we haven't seen the sith for however fucking long it is a hundred years a thousand years it's thousand years thousand years yeah (laughs) so that's that's the thing if sith show up then if whatever Sith are active at this point show up, there's only one of two outcomes. They don't run into any Jedi or they run into Jedi and those Jedi don't survive to go tell their homies about it. Right. Because, um, but, uh, so from what I understand, the end of the high Republic era is about 70 years before the Phantom Menace. So I would not be surprised if at some point, through the whole thing, we don't get into Darth Plagueis at some point. Or, you know, I mean, in Darth Plagueis, you know, I don't know how long his reign is, but you would think Palpatine wouldn't wouldn't be a senator until he had already killed Plagueis, right? Like, Well, I don't know, because in the Darth Plagueis books, which, you know, aren't necessarily considered canon anymore, right. I'm almost certain Plagueis is alive until the night that Palpatine becomes Chancellor in the Phantom Menace. Really? Yeah, and then he goes and kills him that night after he's elected. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure I'm at, I'm right. That would be crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would, would be surprised that Plagueis will show up. Now, Palpatine, that seems like a stretch, right? Because like, he's right. younger than 70 in the Phantom Menace. Right. So, yeah, I don't think we'll see Palpatine, but we could see Plagueis. Like, maybe we see Plagueis and his master, whoever Plagueis's master was. Yeah. <clears throat> Follow-up question. Do you think we could see some of the Jedi we already know, or even the Jedi introduced in the new books, going up against the dark side remaining Sith? I know I sure would love to see Uppo Rancisus kicking ass. I first, I thought that Martian Rowe was related to Chancellor So. But it seems like now like maybe he has a Sith relic that he's using to torture Loden. What are your thoughts on it all? Thanks for the show and best wishes, Sam. Um, like I said, I don't think we'll see Oppo Rancisis or Yariel Poof or Yoda going up against any Sith because by the time of the Phantom Menace, they think the Sith have been gone for like a thousand years or whatever. That doesn't mean we won't see some Jedi end up going against the Sith, but they can't make it out alive. That that makes a real serious canon contradiction. A sad doom about it. Yeah. And maybe that is a Sith relic. I didn't consider that. Maybe that is some kind of weird Sith torture device. That rod I was telling you about. That's what Sam is um, referencing, I imagine. The Sith be liking some torture. Mm-hmm. Woo! Man, I guess that's it. Right on. 
Thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah, buddy. I know you don't, you know, have a lot of time to read or listen to an audio book. And I do not. This is a exciting era of like new Star Wars stuff. So I wanted to fill you in. Thank you for keeping me abreast. couldn't agree more thank you i'm just kidding (laughs) wow (laughs) right on um so yeah uh if okay so for some future uh high republic discussions that will and i have if i missed anything major that you think is important information for will to have like vital information you guys know what i mean um Hit me up and and we'll do like catches up. I would like to keep Will as informed as possible because if the High Republic is moving into shows and stuff, I can only see it being beneficial, right? Like, yeah, talk about background. Yeah, and you know what? I bet you, um, I bet you we could do comics pretty easily, right? Like that wouldn't be too bad for you to catch up on, like you did the not at all the Kylo Ren. Yeah, so maybe that's what we'll do. Maybe um, I'll I'll get the comic and um. You can log into my Marvel account again, and we'll discuss that at some point. Um, but besides that, thanks for recording with me, buddy. Dude, thank you for recording with me. I appreciate it. Sorry, 30 minutes of it was me being like, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then uh, I can't Dude, remember. Those are my favorite. Those are my favorite times. That's how I experience the world is through you. <laughs> um, I live here in the, in the post-apocalyptic forgotten lockdown time. <laughs> for real, man. Man, I can't wait. Get me that. Give me my microchip. Hoskins, tell me, what is life? <laughs> Anyways, um, guys, if you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us out. Helps other people find us. Um, if you like our theme song, please be sure to check out the band that was kind enough to provide the music. They're Stoned Cobra. You can find them on iTunes, Spotify, and at stonedcobra.bandcamp.com. And until next week, this has been Blue Harvest. I'm your host, and I've been Hals Burkhart. And I've been William Wooden. May the force be with you. May the force be with all of you. May the force be with us.